This is the Registry Podcast. Welcome to the Real Perspectives Podcast, where we bring you insightful discussions on the most pressing topics in our communities. I'm your host, Vladimir Bosanets, the co-founder and publisher of the Registry. And today, we're thrilled to have a special guest, Michael Allen, the Community Development Manager of the vibrant city of El Segundo. Michael has been at the forefront of innovative city planning and community engagement, driving El Segundo towards a brighter, more inclusive future. In today's episode, we'll dive into the heart of community development, exploring the challenges and triumphs of building a city that truly reflects the needs and aspirations of its people. Join us as we uncover the stories behind the strategies and the vision that's shaping the future of El Segundo. Welcome, Michael Allen, to the Real Perspectives Podcast. Michael, good morning. How's it going? Good morning. Doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing well? Uh, where do we find you today? Where are you? We are in the heart of El Segundo here uh, this morning. Excellent. Everyone back at the office and sort of uh, actively actively engaging with uh, your you know projects and uh, all the other stuff happening around the city. That's right. We're 100% in office, um, going on a couple of years now, back in the office, full-fledged and, and uh, forging ahead here. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, well, Michael, I, I always love to ask uh, our guests at the beginning to give a little bit of an introduction, you know, about, uh, you know, their background. Uh, I would love to hear from you sort of how your path led you to El Segundo and, uh, you know, a little bit about your role and in, uh, in the city. Sure. So I, I am Michael Allen. I'm the Community Development Director in the city of El Segundo. Uh, I have a, a pretty traditional uh, upbringing in, in city governance, uh, working in local municipalities throughout Southern California. Uh, my my trade is in city planning, so I got my undergrad at Cal Poly Pomona uh, in in urban and regional planning, and and came up through uh, at, at least five or six different cities in Southern California through the planning department or planning division, and. Uh, moved into El Segundo about a couple of years ago uh, as the community development director. As the community development director, I oversee building and safety, code enforcement, planning, and and housing, uh, and and all those programs are are administered through my department, or or those divisions are administered through my my department here in El Segundo. Michael, it's probably worthwhile also asking, you know, how different could that role potentially be in some in some other city? And is it uh, more expansive in your city, kind of given given the size of the city yeah. and um, all of that? Yeah, generally, most cities are ha- they're going to have a version of community development, sometimes referred to as development services or strictly building and planning div- department. Um, and and as you alluded to, depending on the size of the city, the makeup of of that could could vary. Always and probably in all cases, building and safety and planning are within that department. Uh, and then depending on the size and the makeup of the city, in larger cities you could have economic development, uh, code enforcement like we have, housing like we have. Uh, there could other there could be other sort of programmatic services. Uh, we are not a social service, but we do focus on addressing quality of life issues in the community. So there could be an array of other services and programs that are provided in, in the community development department, but always planning and building for sure. Michael, how big is uh, your your group? And uh, tell us a little bit about how, you know, the evolution of sort of what's happening around the city over the last few years, you know, how has that Im- impacted not just your, your part of the organization, but, you know, the city overall? 
Sure. So, so community development in El Segundo is made up of about 19 full st- uh, full-time staff members um, um, split between building and planning and code. Um, we deal predominantly with the built-out environment in the, in the city. And so from single-family homes to commercial multifamily homes to literal commercial industrial complexes, uh, anything that gets built or improved in the city comes through my shop. Uh, in the last couple of years, you know, there's there's been a significant evolution in in the development community, uh, shifting away from building out new square footage and and prioritizing investing or reinvesting in existing facilities and existing infrastructure. And so, um, not a significant change for my department in terms of workload, uh, just shifting priorities. And rather than than focusing on on new buildouts, you know, our, our staff time is is primarily geared towards helping helping facilitate the process of of tenant improvements or helping landowners developers figure out how to maximize the use of their existing square footage. What role does a city play in the greater Los Angeles County, and how significant is it both economically and also geographically? Yeah, so El Segundo, uh, we're we're a, a Tightly packed five square miles uh, within Southern California, just south of LAX, um, located within the the South Bay uh, geographic region, just north of Redondo, Hermosa, Manhattan, um, Torrance. Uh, we we are bordered by uh, within the city limits the Chevron Oil Refinery, which is the impetus of of the name El Segundo. Um, Chevron originally Standard Oil. Uh, founded up in Richmond, which was the first oil refinery in Richmond, California. Uh, this was the second largest uh, oil refinery under Standard Oil, and so making us El Segundo the second. Um, and so we we are we are, as our mayor likes to say, the most important five square miles uh, in Southern California. Uh, and I always add comma economically uh, because we we are an economic powerhouse, uh, probably not only in Southern California, but throughout the state. We have a given our proximity to the 405 freeway, the 105 freeway, LAX. Uh, we have uh, a, an amount and level of access that most cities don't have in and out of the city and in and out of the region. Uh, but we also have a, a significant footprint in aerospace uh, technology and and uh, U.S. defense, you know, contract uh, industry company or industries uh, that provide that they've been here for a long time and provide uh, long-standing relationships with with the federal government and supporting the, the defense industry, and that is a, a significant footprint in our community and it's and it's a long-standing history that we have and it, it keeps El Segundo very relevant in in new technology and advancing technology. Uh, and so, you know, we're we're always challenged with just keeping up with it. What can we do to keep up with that and uh, keep them here and help them grow and help them expand? Uh, and, and then we have this beautiful, quaint little residential side of town. It's about one square mile uh, or so, one and a half square miles of, of residential, predominantly single family residential. And if you if you didn't drive through, uh, you, you'd have no idea that that there was this Main Street USA uh, here in El Segundo, uh, and it's, it's a, the best hidden gem here in the South Bay. 
Yeah. And your proximity to LAX, I imagine, is also a big economic driver for the city too, right? Yeah, we, I, I believe we we get a lot of uh, sort of ancillary business and, and activity and through traffic being, you know, with the proximity to LAX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you've had an opportunity now, as you said earlier, to work at a couple of, uh, you know, cities around the region. I am curious in, in your kind of mind, you know, what makes uh, for a successful city government? Um, and maybe, you know, especially given kind of uh, what we've all gone through over the last few years. Yeah, it's a relevant and, and, and difficult question to, to answer. You know, local cities have, have struggled the last few years. And uh, I've been fortunate to work in a couple, especially the last four years, uh, that were that were very well off uh, in terms of st- stable financially. Um, my time before El Segundo was in Culver City, um, and my time here, you know, has shown you know that the the financial policies and, and direction that our our local elected officials, our council members, took, and the and the probably at the time the risks that they took in order to to conserve and and live responsibly and invest right uh, really helped the city maintain a, a balanced budget book and maintain staffing levels. There were other cities during the pandemic uh, that went through significant layoffs and, and cuts uh, because they did not have those same the same foresight that that somewhere like El Segundo or, or Culver City had before I got here. Uh, so I you know I think having strong fiscal awareness and 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 policies in place, is always a key factor uh, in in making a, a successful city government. The other piece of it um, is is probably less tangible. It's, it's harder to define. You know, it's it's really about having a a common set of goals amongst five, in our case, five elected city council members um, that represent where the community wants to go. And and to get those five elected officials going in the same direction. Uh, it's, it's not an easy task, but having that spelt out, and was and we do, we have a, a five-year strategic plan that we update on an ongoing basis, but having a strategic plan that is sort of a hybrid short and long-term policy goals, investment goals, programmatic goals, uh, having those things spelled out is, is extremely important. You know, generally, if you don't have that, you find a city that's being reactive um, to 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 situations that are arising unexpectedly. Uh, and when you're constantly reactive, you, you know you have no time to build and invest and 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 build out the community the way that you that you want. And so I, I think that's the other half of the of the puzzle is, is having this the strategic plan that all five council members are are sold on, that they've they've been part of, uh, that gives staff the direction that we need. To carry us where we need to go and, and unfortunately you know we we have a great strategic plan we look at it frequently um and we it drives the conversation if you go to any of our council meetings um every agenda item is tied back to a strategic plan goal and it really drives what we what we do on a day-to-day basis Michael, I imagine a lot of that strategic thinking um, has evolved over the last few years. Um, uh, you know, one of the reasons that we kind of started this podcast was to 
explore, you know, how organizations and companies were, you know, coping with, you know, COVID and not that we need to focus on that, but I'm only bringing this up because I, I imagine um, part of how you guys reacted and how you guys evolved during that time is also helping shape your strategy going forward. Tell us a, a bit about, you know, wh- what happened in the city, you know, how did you guys respond? Um, what were some of the successful things, maybe some lessons learned throughout that process that, um, you know, really made an impact on you guys? Yeah, I mean, COVID forced everybody. I, I mean, I not just El Segundo, but it forced everybody to to go fully remote, fully digital, fully virtual, um, and and we're all accustomed to the accidental, you know, muting ourselves while speaking on Zooms and all that stuff that we were all adjusting to over the last few years. Um, but there's other there's other virtual and digital processes that w- that we had to quickly create or 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 move into and and a lot like many smaller sized cities like our own um we did things manually uh we did a lot of things manually you know whether it's taking in payments or processing permits or whatever it might be we just we did a lot of them manually still not more than a few years ago and so like a lot of other cities during the pandemic we had to figure out how to accommodate continuing the the ability for business to to come in or at least to, for folks to continue doing business with us without actually having to come into city hall. And so that was the biggest shift that, that we made. Um, and at first, you know, we, we sort of did the poor man's version of a virtual business. Everything was done via email. Um, and we, we figured out a third party payment vendor. And so we, we sorted out, uh, you know, sending folks invoices and, and reconciling that with finance after the fact. And, um, Maybe and hopefully to the user, it felt seamless. Uh, but it was yeah. <laughs> it was like a big black box. You put it in, and and uh, a bunch of rats working in the background to make it work. And and then it, you know, product came out. And we but we've we've quickly uh, over the last couple of years uh, shifted to to really formalize that and and get away from the the piecemealing of of digitizing our process. And and we've the city's invested probably like many other cities. The city's invested in streamlining and really really owning that that virtual process and i you know even today now that we've made that shift uh when you'd have typically maybe 30 40 50 people come to the counter a day to talk to building and safety or planning i i think on a busy day here i might find five people at our counter because everybody else does everything online which is fantastic um things are, are done a lot a lot faster that way it's a lot more seamless people don't have to make the trip in saves money saves time and and so that's probably been the biggest change that that we've made and and probably several other cities in southern california yeah yeah what did this do specifically for uh you know development and for you know projects that are in the pipeline um i mean that's certainly our audience i think they're going to want to kind of hear about that. Uh, but but I'm curious, you know, have you also learned from that process to make uh, that easier as well? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, the tale is old, it's time is money, right? And, you know, ultimately, I think the biggest payoff is that this has saved time and saved money for folks. You know, when somebody either owns or is buying a property or they're even leasing and and they're they're paying on, on a monthly basis and and the, the, the speed in which they get permits or get approvals, uh heavily depends on when they can actually get up and running and collecting money themselves to generate revenue um the difference of applying and getting a permit in two to three weeks versus applying and getting a permit versus 
three months, which could be the case in some cities, it's it's significant when you're paying tens and thousands of dollars a month. Um, that 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 can add up, and in, in some cases, you have developers um, waiting around, waiting through the process for upwards to a year, depending on what type of approvals they need. And so, all this you know really shaves that down to to minimize the amount of time somebody's in waiting, to to shave down you know the t- the turnaround time for approvals, and, and ultimately saves folks money. I, I think you know sort of anecdotally, we've we've cut the processing time just for building permits by by a third. We've cut off about 33% of, of the time in, in turning around permits, um, at least for reviews. And then, then the permit, the overall window uh, from application to permit issuance, we've cut it in about in about 50%. We've cut it in half. And and so for, for folks that are choosing whether or not to invest in this day and age with high high construction costs, high interest rates, uh, those things make a big difference when they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to invest in their in their property or their facility. So I think that's probably the biggest change there. Yeah. In terms of um, what's happening around the city, are there any um, you know projects that you uh, you know want to highlight? Things that are kind of exciting happening around the city that you know we should we should take note of. Yeah, I mean, I, we so we have we still have a lot going on. Like I said, there's not as much new square footage um that that's that's changed in since 2020 um and that's not unique to el segundo but um we have what's what's interesting is the same valuation that you might find in in folks building new square footage that same dollar amount has maintained has, has stayed flat since the pandemic started and so we've seen that same dollar amount be invested in the community but it's it's improving existing facilities or, or building out existing spaces. We do have some new uh, developments, but there, there's a lot of there's a lot of exciting stuff happening. Um, you know, we, we've in the last couple of years, we've entitled uh, and they're in halfway through their build out the, the Chargers headquarters, uh, which is a, a couple hundred thousand square foot corporate office, training facility, entertainment venue for the players and, and staff three full-size football field practice you know, practice fields um and that that's a significant build out uh the beach cities media campus which is on sort of the southern side of the city off of rosecrans uh is, a, is another couple hundred thousand square feet of new creative office and so at a time when you know the office space is, is a big question mark in people's mind we still have folks investing and building several hundred thousand square feet of, of new potential creative office space here. Um, Standard Works, which is within our, our very unique district called Smoky Hollow. It's a post-World War II old brick, you know, single and, and two-story buildings that, that are post-World War industrial type buildings. Uh, Standard Works was a, a two-phased construction project where they built out uh, a couple hundred thousand square feet that is now uh, half of it is leased out to ABL um, and they're they're currently building out the second half. Uh, that is a beautiful re reimagined building that that is going up from two stories to, to five stories. Um, it's a great adaptive reuse. Uh, and and probably the next big thing that we're looking at, is uh, we, we've had several conversations is is working with the previous CEO and founder of Whole Foods 
John Mackey, who is going down a new new adventure called Love Life. Um, it's a very interesting concept. Uh, it's not a land use that fits squarely in a box. Um, and they're still working out, you know, the assemblage of sort of workout, dining, healthy living combination of uses, uh, pickleball, you know, fastest growing sport in America. <laughs> yes. So they, they are looking to locate their flagship location here in, in El Segundo um, at our former sort of former existing commercial center where Best Buy was previously located. And that is extremely exciting. It's going to be the first and only of its kind, um, probably for a long while. And they're looking up to get up and going, I think, early 2024. Yeah, Michael. Um, over the over the last couple of years, I'm sure there you 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 have mentioned there have been a number of you know companies that are interested in um, kind of looking at El Segundo or have shown some kind of interest in in expanding there. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of how uh, how that's you know played out. Yeah. So you know, El Segundo has, has been fortunate to be home to some really long standing. Um, you know, industries, you know, Raytheon, Aerospace, Boeing, Northrop, um, the LA Air Force Base, which is now Space Force headquarters. Um, and, and this is this is given us a, a level of stability that's that's been fantastic. It's also opened the door to as as some of these companies morph, maybe their footprint shrinks, um, it's opened up the door to some great adaptive reuse, um, particularly uh, Beyond Meat, who was who was originated here and and then expanded, and then L'Oreal, um, who was looking to locate at their their West Coast headquarters, both took over a a a old industrial space that was previously run out of uh, Northrop Grumman, and they they adaptively modified and renovated those those buildings, these great old hangars. Uh, with sawtooth roofs um, and and completely renovated the buildings to to revamp it. You wouldn't even know it was an industrial space today. Um, and and we've seen time and time again these companies like Beyond Meat and L'Oreal um, finding facilities in El Segundo that they like to reinvent. Um, and and those are in sort of the the eastern side of town and the very traditional industrial spaces we see the same thing in our smoky hollow district which is the smaller curated uh, industrial small you know single two-story brick buildings um where you have sort of an, an assemblage of different types of industries and space that can accommodate different types of industries we see like life science or biosciences uh you know so the the small startup tech companies um, different sort of sports and entertainment services or professional services growing those spaces um, throughout the city. We see you know, a lot of different type of tech and investment. Uh, Rivion has has set up a, a, a growing shop here um, that they've taken over, um, as well as Kite Pharma. And, and there's some then notable no, notable property owners and notable developers and Nat Studios, uh, which is a, a part of Patrick Sushan's assemblage of, of companies. Uh, the 888 Douglas, which is where Beyond Meat and L'Oreal took over, was, was an assemblage of properties from Michael Hackman, who traditionally uh, invests in studio properties throughout Southern California. 
um, we have longtime headquarters of Mattel and there's some fallout and not there's some ancillary uh, businesses and, and, and business support industries that, that come here because Mattel here is here or they're interested in being here. Um, and so there's a lot of growing uh, that's happening in the tech, the tech and startup world. Uh, Varda Space is a is a brand new um, tenant here who's who's quickly growing as well as a, I think just passed across my desk the other day. Uh, Radiant Technologies was was homegrown in El Segundo and needed to expand their footprint. Uh, they they found a, a new headquarters here where you know they're they're building the first zero emissions power source for outer space. Um, I couldn't really believe when that crossed my desk is what is going on uh, east of PCH. And so there's a lot of opportunity. There's a huge, diverse net of, of, of office space and industrial space and research and development space that can be found in, in El Segundo. And, and it provides very, very close connectivity to all these different industries that are that are that are closely related. And as it's a great sort of symbiotic uh, relationship between all these different businesses and industries here. What has been your pitch to either developers or companies that have been looking to do things in El Segundo? And how have you helped transition the questions around what is happening today in the city and how you position yourself within the bigger city administration? Yeah, I, you know, so I, it's, it's interesting. I'm usually not brought into the conversation until there's already some level of interest. We have a, a phenomenal team that's part of our, our sort of economic development outreach and, and engagement and they they work very closely and on connecting with folks that both are here and maybe want to expand or those who are looking to relocate uh, on a regular basis there, there's these fantastic campaigns that really demonstrate the the geographic location and benefits of, of being in el segundo the proximity to the you know whether it's transportation or the different aerospace or national defense contractors or or the the infrastructure and space available for tech startups and uh you know there, there's really a phenomenal effort in in that sense and they usually bring me in the conversation because by the time they're interested they want to know how much red tape is there uh and i am the department of red tape you know and so they're usually wondering, well, Michael, you know, how how difficult is this going to be? And so my job is always to try and flip that and explain to them how easy it's going to be. Um, and you know, we're we're lucky, we're small, and so there's 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 ease in being able to pick up the phone and get a hold of me as as the director, which is not the case in in a lot of cities in Southern California. And so we we really try and foster that that relationship once once our economic development team is is has sort of passed the baton. Uh, I coordinate with our building official, our planning manager, and, and we sit down, whether it has to be weekly, monthly, quarterly, wh whatever they need, we schedule time and we sit down, we walk through what's their vision, you know, how, what's their process look like, what's their goals, so that we can map out from a regulatory standpoint what it is they need to, to get done in order to get entitled or permitted and whatever that looks like. And we're able to make commitments, you know, okay, well, this, if everybody's on the same page of this is what you need, you need an entitlement, you need building permits, then here's our timeline. And if you want to meet this timeline, here's what we need from you. Here's what we are committed to as city staff. 
Um, and then we keep that. We don't just meet once and then call it done. Uh, sure. You know, we, we keep that meeting on the books so that it keeps everybody accountable. And as things come up, we can troubleshoot them. Um, it's really the most effective way. There's no program management software. There's no secret sauce that really creates a seamless process. It's really about the relationships and the ability to sit down in person or via Zoom uh, ad hoc or regularly to, to walk through with their contractors or with their architects, any design questions and work through those things together. And, and El Segundo is uniquely situated in that work. We're, we're just, we're available and we're accessible to be able to do that. And there's there's no real limit to that. Um, as long as they they wanna have the conversation, we'll, we'll make ourselves available for it. And, and then we'll follow through with our commitments. And that's, you know, I think that it's really an, an important piece of, of, of the, the sales pitch. Um, yep. But usually by the time they talk to me, they're already sold. It's just, uh, I, I have to make <laughs> sure that they know that, that I won't, you know, that we're not going to be throwing up any, any red tape that they didn't expect. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Makes sense. Um, every decade or so, uh, cities will put together, you know, a new specific plan, whether it's a downtown specific plan or, you know, something, um, similar to that. I'm curious for you guys, you know, how have, you know, the last few years reshaped how, what that product may look like, what the next edition of that may, may actually be. Yeah. I, you know, so when I came to El Segundo two years ago, I was shocked. I think we have in five square miles, a third of which is the Chevron oil refinery. So uh, it's really much less than that. We have, I think 13 or 14 specific plans, which is, um, a lot. So we are the city of specific plans. But but what that really tells us is that we we go through the effort, you know, there's underlying zoning, there's underlying sort of big picture general plan, but but we've spent the time over the last you know 50, 60 years to curate what we want in different segments of the city. Um and so some of those specific plans are pretty old. They're built out, uh, but but they were realized, you know, the city identified this is what we want. And it's unique here. It's different than the rest of the city, and and they they invested and spent the time creating those specific plans. We are now wrapping up um, updating two specific plans uh, because we thought it was it was important. It was time. There's a downtown specific plan which has been around for about twenty some odd years. Um, what we learned, you know, the pandemic did a lot of things. It sort of surfaced any faults we all had and one of the things that we saw through the downtown specific plan the other plan was the smoky hollow specific plan is they were not materializing what the vision was um the smoky hollow specific plans from 2018 so it's not as old uh, but we saw very quickly that both of those documents were were outdated and they were not materializing what we had envisioned for either the downtown specific plan or small smoky hollow so we're, you know, we've taken a hard look and, and the downtown specific plan, we, we revamped. We, we essentially threw it in the trash and said, let's start over. Um, we kept the framework of it, but otherwise really we, we spent a year and a half working with the community, with planning commission, with the city council, re-envisioning what they want in the downtown. How do we reinvent this space? How do we reinvigorate it? How do we draw commercial traffic to it? um that that also creates foot traffic for for the restaurant industry for the the, the small mom and pop brick and mortar retail uses um how do we deal with the changing you know demand and parking and and vehicle trips and 
everybody taking electric bikes now and you know what do we what do we do with that and how do we create a sense of space what do we do with the public place and um and so we're we're just wrapping that up now uh we're we're about two years in uh, we're just finishing some environmental studies on it um but the same same goes for the smoky hollow specific plan we didn't reinvent it in its entirety but we took a hard look at it we realized that since 2018 it was originally crafted to be very very specific they they created a very curated specific plan that said we only want these five types of uses that have to fit this five you know these five criteria very very strictly um and the world changed over the last four years the, those uses don't really exist the same that they used to you don't see standard brick and mortar retail in the same way that you used to um, even the restaurant industry has you know over time has changed you don't see traditional white tablecloth dining anymore um it's very rare that, that you see that and so uses are, are morphing and so we we took a look at that and tried to figure out how do we change the land use categories to a defined type to a more sort of values based you know how, how do we shift it so that the priority is not necessarily a particular particular business, but it's a business type. It something that drives foot traffic, something that creates a sense of space, some, something that that you know is symbiotic with the other the other uses in the area. And so, how do we craft a code that is vague enough that it allows the, any use that could come down the table? uh and is not overly restrictive and so we've spent the last year and a half on that one really just cleaning it up um and and th those were both city initiated it wasn't something that a developer came in and said hey we're having trouble doing x um and then we made them go through this application process so it was something that the city recognized has been a difficulty it's hard for folks to locate in the downtown it's hard for sure. folks to locate in the smoky hollow and so we we took that that burden on to 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 carry the cost and carry the you know the the process ourselves. Have you noticed um, as a um, you know as a trained city planner, right? Um, in general, is is the is sort of the downtown core evolving? Um, you know, any sort of you know personal thoughts about that in general? You know, not not necessarily stuff that you're including in the in in the in the specific plan, but just just from your experience, kind of as you are seeing things happening in your city and elsewhere, right? Um, are people's behavior shifting? I'm just curious to see sort of how all that is now new, right? Yeah, I, it's a it's a challenge. I mean, so as a trained planner, like, I always just see the potential in something. Like nothing's ever complete in my, my world. Like there's always just something more that can be done. Um, and maybe that's that's just more a product of, of reality i mean once we feel like we're done with you know the the economy changes or you know the the retail environment changes and so of course there's always something more to be done but it it's evolving you know the the experience that people want is is different um it's it is very experiential people want to come to a place and experience something and so that that's a challenge especially in a more traditional main street usa downtown um and it's more difficult to curate in a main street downtown than it is at say a, you know a westfield mall where there's a very controlled environment and and the the leasing and the use of space is is far more easier to control on a on a more global scale 
well, I don't have any control of that. We can set the parameters as, as an entity and then the private market does, does the rest. And so it's a lot more difficult to solve for that equation in a place like main street or the core of downtown. So it is, and I don't, I don't think we have the answer yet. It's something that's ever evolving. And, and that's a challenge that we need to address moving forward is that how do we, how do we accommodate that, that need for some experiential experience? I, I'm using the wrong yeah. <laughs> right. words, but how do we, how do we create that sense of space that, that people can come and experience something other than eating out? Um, because that's the next, you know, we have a great growing restaurant industry downtown uh, that will hit some peak capacity at some point. Um, and then we need to figure out what what fits with that, because uh, you cannot have our downtown with just door to door restaurants. It, it's not going to make any sense. We need some supporting industries there. Uh, and so that that is that is going to be a growing challenge for for us. Yeah. Um, shifting gears uh, as we close the conversation here, Michael, one of the things that I'm curious about is sort of you know, your path to this role and, and you know, path path of others. Um, how do you get, you know, more younger people interested in sort of doing jobs that, you know, you guys do? Um, any thoughts or advice there? Um, maybe things, you know, you would have told yourself, you know, now do you know things that maybe you didn't know back then? Um, and how do you encourage people to, you know, coming and sort of think about, you know, you know, city planning as a, as a, as a viable career as well? Yeah, I, yeah, that's a tough, it's a tough question. I, we, you know, we struggle to recruit people all the time. Um, there's a very technical side of, of the world that, that I work in, you know, somebody literally who's an engineer plan checking plans, um, or a planner who's plan checking plans and, and you're taking your existing rules and you're just applying them to what's being proposed. And so there's a very technical side to that, which is becoming less and less enticing to, to folks. Um, I think generally, especially folks coming out of college now, they're very creative. They're, they think in an abstract way um, and they, they, they have visions that are somewhat abstract and they think on a much more global scale uh, what we do is is less global. It's very local, um, and you don't see the fruits of your labor on on a on a on a bigger you know on a bigger scale, which is what everybody would love to to be able to see is is you know some social or societal change on on a grand scale, change in travel behavior or waste management or you know changes changes in social equity issues, and that just doesn't happen in my shop on a local level overnight uh, and it's very incremental. And so it's hard for somebody to see if I, if I change some housing policy in El Segundo that facilitates 50 more unit capacity in downtown, what does that really accomplish on a large scale? Uh, because we also don't build housing. So we might be able to say, yeah, we can build 50 more housing units downtown and 10% of those will be affordable. Somebody still has to come in and invest and, and develop and, and build it. Uh, so you're still talking maybe 20, 30 years out before that happens. So it's very hard to attract somebody to do that. Um, 
So maybe we're attracting the wrong people. You know, maybe we need to start looking elsewhere because the traditional planning track or the, the schools of thought, you know, in public policy or, or public admin that folks go into um, public government or, or government as, as a government employee may not be the right place to look anymore. Maybe we need to look there, but plus maybe we need to look at other other industries that bring in a different mentality, a different perspective, a different specialty. Um, and so I, I think we probably need to cast a wider net, uh, but we also need to maybe change the product. You know, maybe the days of just reviewing plans is, is sort of aged. Maybe that we don't focus so much on that. And we, we focus more on the larger scale policy development and implementation. And we figure out once we make the rules, now how do we encourage investment and how do we encourage people to come in? And so I think there's a little bit of school school of thought needs to change a little bit, but also, you know, we need to change the way we do business probably to to accommodate maybe a new school of thinking. Yeah. And any piece of advice for folks that would like to get involved in this industry that you would uh, like to share? Uh just dive in. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I have any real good advice. I, I was. I was fortunate. I. You know, public service is tough. Um, I think people have it in their blood. I don't think people just fall into it. Uh, but I, I think if if anybody has any inkling of of wanting to to give back, because although it doesn't feel like it, this is a version of giving back to your community. I don't live here in El Segundo. Um, I hadn't spent much time here before I started working here, but but I care deeply about what happens here. Um, and I'm vested in the community and, and where I work. And it, it's, yeah, I get paid to do it, but it's my version of giving back because I think we can make small impacts over time that, that you know, incrementally become much, much bigger. Um, and so if anybody has an inkling of, of public service, it doesn't, you don't have to be a planner, you don't have to be an engineer, uh, you don't even have to really have any specialty, but it, you just have to have an interest and a passion towards changing the lives of people who live and do business in the community that you're working in. And so uh, I would just call on anybody with public, you know, some public service, uh, you know, desire to just jump in, you know, go to your local community and, and find out where you can chip in. Most cities have have, you know, either a general plan or specific plan that they're updating. They're having these conversations on a regular basis. And so go participate, you know, go, go participate where you live. And, and that's usually the foot in the door. Wonderful. Michael, thank you so much uh, for this conversation. This was really insightful. Uh, and it was great to learn more about your city. Uh, best of luck and uh, look forward to hearing from you guys soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for, for having me this morning. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast. And we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers.